anxiety is not as bad as bipolar, but I mean, they're all kind of bad in their own way because they have their own debilitating factors that, that revolve around them, correct? Yeah. Well, and I mean, and that's one of the huge, I think there's a lot of misconceptions of mental health. I mean, that being a simple one, like bipolar disorder, I think a lot of people see it as like, you can flip on a dime, but actually it's really easy to diagnose because you have four days of mania and two weeks of depression, two cycles of that within a six month period. And that's bipolar one, bipolar two is less mania. And um, they can be, all of them can be just as, or not as debilitating, but I think that self-sabotage can be linked with different like diagnosable disorders. But I think it's also a bit of just human nature, just getting the bad habits and bad cycles, but it can certainly be linked with like intertwined with depression, anxiety, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, PTSD, um, really any of them. Because when we get stuck in cycles... This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm your host, Sean Dustin. If this is your first episode, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. This is episode 20. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you decided to hang out with me today. Happy holidays. Christmas is right around the corner. It's December 18th. Uh, Probably the next time you'll hear from me is in the new year, unless I can squeeze out one more episode before uh, the end of the year. I know I was shooting for four But life takes on a life of its own sometimes. Today's episode is going to be on self-sabotage, and I'll be talking to Corey Peterson, who is a licensed psychotherapist. But before we get to the episode, I want to, uh, I I did a couple polls, one on Instagram, and I did one on my Facebook group, Nowhere to Go But Up podcast group on uh, Facebook. On the Instagram poll, I asked, have you ever experienced self-sabotage? And of the 16 people that viewed it, five said yes, one said no. On the Facebook poll, seven people thought that their self-sabotaging behavior was a result of low self-esteem or lack of confidence. One thought it was a result of subconsciously punishing yourself for the past. Two said all of the above, and one didn't know. So of 62 people that viewed these polls between the two, Instagram and Facebook, 15 said yes, one said no. So to accompany these polls, I'm going to read a article that I found while I was uh, researching this topic, and it's from Poosh.com, and the article is titled, Why We Self-Sabotage by Dr. Judy Ho. Dr. Ho is a licensed clinical and forensic neuropsychologist, and she's pretty popular out there. She's done a lot of different podcasts. She's done a lot of uh, uh, news uh, shows, radio shows. I mean, all you got to do is just... Google her name, Dr. Judy Ho, and you'll see a plethora of different things that she's been involved in. Have you ever tried to reach a goal like losing weight, getting a new job, curbing overspending, or finding a satisfying relationship only to be disappointed when your efforts didn't bring you any closer to those dreams? Have you ever avoided getting close to people or wanted to connect with somebody so badly that your insecurity and neediness scared them off? Have you ever gotten into trouble for poor money management? Or found it hard to do what it takes to move your career to the next level? Have you ever stopped and thought, why did I do that? After you reached for the cookies instead of something healthy. Or when a break from a work project turned into a binge-watching session that left you bleary-eyed and behind on deadlines. If any of this sounds familiar, you're stuck in a cycle of self-sabotage. Simply defined, self-sabotage shows up as thoughts and or behaviors that undermine our best interests and unconscious intentions. It's a phase many of us throw around in casual conversation and a phenomenon we easily identify in the lives of our friends and loved ones. Even so, many of us invite the harmful, inhibiting, defeating effects of self-sabotage in our own lives without even realizing it. Because self-sabotage often works behind the scenes in the moment we are oblivious to what we're doing and how we've gotten in our own way. And these self-defeating patterns tend to rear their ugly heads just when you're at your most stressed or feeling crappy or stretched too thin. Even the most successful people may engage in self-sabotage in one or more areas of their life. Maybe you have a rewarding career and solid marriage, but can't seem to keep an exercise routine. Or maybe you're a social butterfly and keep great company except when it comes to romantic partners. Over time, self-sabotage saps our motivation and drive. 
When we fail time and time again to achieve our goals, but can't identify why, we become frustrated, defeated, and stop trying. But there is a way out, and you can do something to stop these behaviors today. First, realize that self-sabotage is common. We all do it from time to time. And the impetus to self-sabotage is rooted in our biology, because as humans, we have to achieve rewards and avoid threat. When these two main drives are in balance, all is good. But sometimes, we start to prioritizing avoiding threat, not just physical, but in the present day, these threats are more psychological or emotional. For example, we might fear rejection from a loved one, being embarrassed during a public speaking, or failing at a new job. And this causes us to hit that self-sabotage trigger and do things that take us away from our goals. Second, understand what your particular brand of self-sabotage is. I've come up with an acronym, LIFE, to help identify these factors that impact you the most. L is for lower, shaky self-esteem. I is for internalized beliefs from childhood. F is for fear of the unknown. And E is for excessive need for control. Some people find themselves in one of these factors or a mixture of the four. Once you've identified your life factor or factors, it's time to pay attention to your thoughts. After all, behavior is preceded by a thought, even if you didn't notice that thought to begin with. So take stock in what you're thinking. When you are about to reach for that second serving of cake, stop and ask, what was I thinking just before this? Knowing your thoughts that drive you to self-sabotage will lead to the next step, which is to replace the unhelpful behavior with a more productive one. Once you know what kind of thoughts that trigger you to do self-sabotaging behaviors, you can try and change that thought to a more helpful one. Instead of thinking, one more slice of cake won't matter, perhaps ask yourself instead, do I really want or need this second piece of cake? You can then pick an alternate action that will bring you closer to your goals. For example, instead of reaching for that piece of cake, go for a quick walk around the block instead. The key is to select an alternate behavior that gets in the way of your original problematic behavior. So watching TV wouldn't be a good example for this scenario, because that's when most people eat mindlessly while they're watching a show on their couch. Finally, always approach your decisions from a values-driven place. Values are what you want your life to stand for and what you want to be remembered by. Unlike goals, they can't be checked off of a list, but are things you believe are core to who you are. For example, a goal is to run a marathon, whereas values include integrity, adventurousness, and continuous learning. So when in doubt, when you recognize that a potential self-sabotaging act is lurking, ask yourself, would this action honor my values? If not, don't proceed and choose another action instead that is consistent with who you want to be and how you want to be remembered. I hope that this was helpful for you. It was helpful for me. And hopefully this intro wasn't too long and you haven't been bored and tuned out yet. I just wanted to try to do a little bit something different to test out and see how it worked. So without further ado, let's get to the episode and let's start talking with Corey. So hi, Corey. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Just getting chastised on one of the Facebook groups for self-promoting. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, right. If I'm pissing everybody off, I must be doing something right. So we're going to be talking about self-sabotage and, and the things that are associated with self-sabotage. But what's a little bit about you? What is your background? Um, do you have a PhD in psychology or what? what's your story? Oh, so I'm actually I'm on my fifth college degree and first PhD right now. So I'm a licensed psychotherapist. Um, I have a bachelor's in communication and psychology, a master's in professional communication and marriage and family therapy. I'm currently getting my first PhD in communications. That's my original love because communication is literally everything. And I run, um, I'm the owner of Communication and Connection Therapy in Overland Park, Kansas, which is the suburb of Kansas City, or one of them. And I have six clinicians there with me. And I also own a like a corporate wellness uh, organization called Recharge Corporate Wellness Trainings. Goodness, I just got done with five sessions, came straight here, but I'm, I'm on it. I'm good to go. <laughs> wow. You uh, are quite accomplished. 
Thank you. I look like I'm 12, but um, <laughs> I, I really, really have always been that nerd in school. Uh, and so I just never wanted to stop going. So I've been in college for 10 years now with no summer since 2009. This is my first summer I'm taking off. So I am teaching, but I'm not actually in class for these few months. It feels really nice. Yeah, I would imagine. It sounds like you've got a full plate with everything that you've been building up in your life. Yeah, a happy full plate, but definitely a full plate for sure. Well, as long as at the end of the day, you know, it's all it's all worth it, you know, and I believe that, you know, anytime you're helping people and helping them to figure out themselves in a, in a meaningful way and, and how to be more productive in life, it doesn't get much better than that. I completely agree. And then being a psychotherapist is unlike, I think, any, I mean, I think any job, any career is unlike anything else, but it's a unique opportunity where you just get to love people, like truly unconditionally. There's nothing you can tell a therapist that would make them disappointed in you. So it's really unique to like actually enact that every day, but also kind of kick people's butts into the version of themselves that they actually really want to be and figure out the barriers to what that is. So do you feel that when people get in these um, loops, because I've never really experienced any kind of depression, like, you know, uh, any disorder? I, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I'm not I'm not really certain. But usually when I do get into a low point, I have sort of a routine that I, I always follow that helps me to get out of it. How is that different for people that are uh, struggling with anxiety? What's what's the other one where you have the uh, manic depressive? Is that uh, uh, bipolar? Yeah, bipolar disorder. I mean, these are all really uh, anxiety is not as bad as bipolar, but I mean, they're all kind of bad in their own way because they have their own debilitating factors that, that revolve around them, correct? Yeah, well, and I mean, and that's one of the huge, I think there's a lot of misconceptions of mental health. I mean, that being a simple one, like bipolar disorder, I think a lot of people see it as like, you can flip on a dime, but actually it's really easy to diagnose because you have four days of mania and two weeks of depression, two cycles of that within a six month period. And that's bipolar one, bipolar two is less mania. And um, they can be, all of them can be just as, or not as debilitating, but I think that self-sabotage can be linked with different like diagnosable disorders. But I think it's also a bit of just human nature, just getting into bad habits and bad cycles, but it can certainly be linked with like intertwined with depression, anxiety, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, PTSD, um, really any of them. Because when we get stuck in cycles, and no matter what, I mean, if it doesn't feel autonomous, like we don't feel like we choose to do something that's going to hurt us. Like nobody wakes up and is like, I'm just not going to accomplish any of my goals today. It's sort of that you choose to be happy, but I've never met someone who woke up not wanting to be happy. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I struggle with, with uh, self-sabotage just, you know, in, just because I'm an addict. I grew up in an abusive household. Uh, I was yeah. dysfunctional. It, it it's weird because I would be going, you know, and it would usually be when I got clear of all of the problems that I thought and I'm on the road back to building myself back up. And then all of a sudden, it's almost as if like the chaos is 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 comforting. And when that chaos in my life wasn't there, like my mind would trick itself into finding a way to trigger that, you know, something that I don't do, whether it's not showing up for work, whether it's, you know, doing drugs, whether it's what you name it, whatever it is, it, it would trigger me back into a, a situation where it's all chaos again. And that makes so much sense. I mean, there's a great university of Indiana study where they showed or found that self-sabotage happens at peak cognitive times. So when we are starting to do really well, that is exactly when we do. It takes a lot of mental energy to figure out ways to fail. And Virginia sits here, who's one of the creators of experiential therapy. Um, she said that the greatest misconception is that humans' greatest instinct is for survival, when in fact, our greatest instinct is to experience the familiar and re-experience what we know we can survive. So if I'm like a shopaholic, right? If I, I mean, if I cope by shopping and I get into more and more debt, I know how to survive debt. So I'm going to keep shopping because that is a control I have. I know how to survive that thing. That is my familiar. And so it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Oh, that makes so much sense. You know, because because I, I even experience, I mean, even though I'm not, you know, actively, you know, using, you know, the my drugs of choice and, and doing the things that, you know, used to get me in trouble. And I do still experience 
times, you know, even without all that, where I feel that coming on and I, I notice it now. So, I mean, I know exactly what I need to do to either uh, veer it off or receive it and turn it around into something else. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, awareness is really the biggest thing, like knowing when you're doing it, figuring out why you're doing it and changing the cycle. So it sounds like that's where you're at. But isn't that true for everything? I mean, it's almost like awareness is the first step. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I mean, it's almost like for myself, I I have so many different things (laughs) that I have to like, you know, implement that tricks my brain into not not going to certain places, not doing this, not doing that. Okay, well, if I'm in this sort of a, a mind frame, then it's probably not the best idea for me to head out to the bar, even though I don't really drink. But you never know because you know, once you get to a bar and you stay there late enough, well, a lot of bad things start happening when the bars close. Inhibitions are down. You know, somebody may say, hey, you want to go do a line? Oh, sure. That sounds like a great idea. And then boom, you're right back into the cycle. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, knowing yourself as well as your demons do, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what are some other things that that you deal with um, in your profession and you know and with self-sabotage and and how to kind of get through that because I know how to do it for myself but for my audience from a professional's perspective what are what's your take and, and what are your tricks to to getting through these okay so um, I heard a few questions in there so first where I see this with clients oh gosh everywhere um relationships huge like self-sabotaging relationships uh procrastination is probably the most common like procrastination is almost like this weird form of like self-harm in a way um oh gosh negative self-talk substance misuse especially when people prepare for the worst like they think they're doing a good thing for themselves by constantly going over what could go wrong but really they're manifesting the thing that'll go wrong when people are testing other people oh and just bad habits like bad sleep hygiene like people like i know i should go to bed at their time or bad habits of i know i shouldn't play video games like no one's ever been on their deathbed being like i wish i was on social media more right um (laughs) i i think that self-sabotage is really just like coping skills that don't work very well right it's it's very much like instant gratification kind of thing and as to why people self-sabotage um yeah so it depends on the person um definitely like a need for control of some sort like if they are the ones that made something go wrong like they had the control over it uh, maybe they feel imposter syndrome like they don't feel they deserve what it is that is coming for them or maybe they want to externalize and create an excuse um a lot of maybe like uh, that control like future predicting kind of thing of like if we can predict what's going to happen then we will feel better about it but the thing is is we are really not good at protecting ourselves from heartbreak like as much as we think we prepare for the worst like the thing sucks if it sucks no matter what sometimes we just don't want to do the thing like genuinely don't want to and it's our kind of brain's way of telling us that we don't want to do something and sometimes we just need stimulation sometimes something else is more important in that moment and we end up making some pretty poor permanent decisions on temporary feelings i forget what other questions yet oh what kind of things you can do i mean there's a lot of like kind of quick solution things like short productivity spurts so only planning to do things in 20 minute intervals and creating boundaries around distractions our brain is good for like scrolling on social media for 20 minutes and then after that it's just dead downhill like we we're gonna lose all motivation with clients sometimes we'll have to switch from motivation to discipline because motivation is very dependent on how you're feeling but discipline does not care like it's gonna do the thing anyways and so making a mental shift or changing your environment like if you know you're not gonna do anything in your living room on that thesis that's due then you get out of the living room and you go to a location with less distractions but a lot of it has usually tends to do with some sort of self-worth, feeling that they deserve something, fear of failure, or even fear of success. Like if they get this thing, like that might have a lot of responsibility, a lot more um, like work associated than they planned for. And it's also getting people to just start because change seems really hard when you feel like you're starting from the bottom, but you're, you're always starting from the middle. Like you're all like, it's always starting from the middle and you're never actually starting from nothing. And so sometimes just beginning is enough. So it, it kind of depends on if people are working on attachment issues, like if it's relationship or if it's just bad habits. I always, of course, would recommend see a therapist and figure out if it's a deeper issue, but maybe it could just be like I don't want to do that thing. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, that's that that's for sure. I know for myself I procrastinate all the time and mm-hmm. like I wait till the very last minute to do things 
And my justification is, is, oh, oh, I work better under pressure. I work better under pressure. Well, that may be, but I mean, you're also stressing yourself out when you're under that pressure, which, you know, could cause revert, you know, adverse effects in other areas of my life because things tend to, just because you think you may have control of something, if you don't really have an understanding of what you think you're controlling, things will manifest themselves in different areas of your life, no matter what. Do you find that to be true? I agree. Like I call it leaking. Like you will leak elsewhere. It'll come out. Yeah. When I stopped doing drugs, I, I never really got control or, or learned, learned about my anger. And so Mm -hmm. just because I was, uh, not using or or doing the things that were harmful to me i i wasn't uh dealing with with the things that were actually making me angry you know the core uh, uh sim- or the core problems that that caused all of that and when i w- i played softball or adult slow pitch softball and it there would just be times when i would just snap bam there goes the there goes the rage monkey you know and <laughs> and trying to fight everybody and wanting to beat up people and for you know for something stupid and then when i i would look back on it i'd just be so embarrassed and be like god you know dude you just you just acted like a fool in front of like 30 people i mean what yeah, you- i mean it's so hard to look past like I, I say to my clients i say like every time you make a decision um, you make it for two people. So one, you make it for yourself, but two, you make it for your future self. And your future self is the one that looks back and is proud of you or like really disappointed. So you have to like make decisions for future self because that's the one that exists later. Like for you right now is going to be done. Like it's over. So thinking about like in two hours, what do I want to say I did with my time? Like in a day, in a week, in a year. Like if people are thinking about going back to school, it's like, well, you can be 40 with a bachelor's or 40 without one. Like those four years are happening either way. Like you can't stop. It. I mean, this tragedy happened. So that's that permanent decisions on temporary feeling stuff. Because in the moment, we always feel justified because it always makes sense to us. Sometimes having to look forward, that's easier said than done. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Thanks. Yeah, the, the brain is a tricky thing, man. It's so tricky. Uh, I feel like being a human is not so easy. And, you know, we don't really come with directions. And I feel like a lot of people, not, I mean, not just myself, but there's, I think that there's quite a few people out there that, that struggle with all of these types of things, you know, some less than others and some more than others. What do mm-hmm. you think is the factor that's contributing to all of this? To self-sabotage? Um, or or just mental things- health in, in general, you know, why, why is it so much more prevalent now than it was, you know, 30 years ago? Like, I don't really even remember when, you know, I'm, 45 so i'd be 15 i don't really remember mental health being such an issue like you know with with the suicide rates and you know why are Um, i mean i know social media plays a part in it but is it completely responsible or is there other factors no i think that so one i think mental illness has always been a thing just the stigma was so high the resources were so low people didn't talk about it and then now there's just a stage for people to talk about through social media, celebrities. Uh, when I saw Imagine Dragons, the lead singer like stopped in the middle and he's like, I have a therapist, I have depression, like go see someone. Um, so I think we have way more awareness uh, than we ever have before. And then when it comes to like, what is the root cause of mental illness? So it completely is dependent on who you ask because they're, it's all theoretical. So I mean, we understand very little of the brain of the mind. Like the brain is, I mean, an organ, right? It's the organ of perception. And so we know that psychology is a part of it, but then our brain is also an organ. So we know biology is a part of it. And we know that if we're situated in a culture, so we know sociology is part of it. Um, And so there are studies that show that up to 40%, sometimes more different disorders, like can run in families and especially like, um, alcoholism and things like that like you can be more susceptible to different types of illnesses uh when it comes to like suicide uh so one of the biggest contributing factor is age so if you are a teenager or elderly you are at highest risk um so in the teenage talking about the brain some of the last things to develop is impulse control and understanding consequences to your actions so again permanent decisions on temporary feelings as teenagers all the way i once watched a video of two guys high-fiving each other at 40 miles an hour going opposite sides of the road and broke their wrists instantly thought it was a great idea and it definitely wasn't i do think that social media is probably we know that's one of the biggest changes that we've had. And so it makes sense to attribute the suicide 
um, rate increase to that. Um, we also have a lot of more divisive language than we're used to in our culture. And with social media, we have access to harmful, divisive, and toxic language ideas. Um, and if you know somebody who has attempted or completed suicide, you're also more likely um, to do so yourself. And so as we just start to know people, I think everybody knows somebody. And when we have those images in our head, culturally, and um, individually, like it gives us an avenue, it gives us that choice where we may not have thought of that as a choice for. And so one instance, we are destigmatizing seeking mental health treatment. But on the other hand, with social media, we had this increased pressure to be perfect. And that's a very hard space to live in, I think, as a teenager today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to go off just a little bit here. I mean, it, it's it's still into the same subject, but it's going a little different direction. I, you know, because we have all of these. Uh, so when you think about terrorism and you think of all these suicide bombers and um, everything that's associated with terrorism, the one thing that never comes up is mental illness. I mean, you've got to be somewhat crazy to do some of the things that these people are doing, but yet they never talk about any of these people having a background in mental illness or, you know, being crazy in some way that's been documented. Yeah. Well, I mean, you are eight to 10 times more likely to be a victim of a violent crime with a mental illness than a perpetrator, especially a mental illness, especially um, crimes with like gun violence and things. So hatred and illness are not the same thing. Um, and I think that is, I, I do think, or I do know, so um, I study uh, stigma in public as well as in family for mental illness. And usually mental illness in the media is only mentioned if something bad happens. And so it'll just be usually in commentary, but that's when people tend to mention a mental illness, which raises the stigma. But learning to hate a group of people is not the same as experiencing a mental illness. So it might be ill in the sense of it's certainly not a healthy belief system. It is not kind. It is not fair. It is not productive. And the thing we can all argue not okay. That's not the same as experiencing a mental illness. Now, there is a few mental illnesses, very few, like two that come to my mind that have violence um, as a possible symptom. But other than that, um, what you're explaining is hatred and okay. indoctrinization. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does. I just yeah. picked up on that. Somebody had asked that question and it was I, nobody had an answer yeah. for it. And that's it's so hard because it, it genuinely feels ill. Like to think that someone would choose to hurt someone else, like to be taught to hurt someone else and then act on it. it there's nothing that feels mentally healthy about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I had a guest on that, that borderline a couple of things and had anxiety and all of this. And she, she described it as a soul, like a soulful ache. Mm. You know, it's like this, I mean, it's, it's hard to describe, but I mean, that, that actually, I mean, I, I can picture that and I can see what that could possibly feel like. And yeah, that's a great, great visual, like great metaphor. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, and it, like a lot of other times, I, I just when people would say something, I, I it just sort of goes over your head, you know what I mean? Because it doesn't capture what what that person is actually feeling, or actually the the, the person that's being told that can't really get it, can't grasp an idea if you haven't really experienced it yourself. But that one, I was just like, oh, okay, is that what that that, that must be horrible? Yeah, no, that oh, that sounds about right. Um, I mean, even because I sit with people, you know, like sometimes seven hours plus a day. And even I, I mean, I have barriers. Like I just, there's just certain things I haven't experienced. Like when a vet's telling me, like opening up for the first time about their um, deployment and talking about heads exploding and stuff, like there's only so much I can understand in that. And as they're explaining what that feels like to affect them now and how they like go back to that and their PTSD. And it's like, you just really never know what it's like. Yeah. My, uh, my roommate was a vet from, I think he was in uh, Afghanistan and mm. he told me a story once um, about, you know, going through and he was a, uh, uh, an EOD tech. So an explosive uh, person. So they'd go out and de you know, find landmines and do all that other stuff. And uh, they were on a convoy and they were going through a certain area and it hit an IUD and, and blew up underneath him. And, you know, his, he was telling me about this and I'm not going to get into detail about it, but I mean, I've been to prison and I, I experienced PTSD from all the violence that I had to endure in there and, 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 you know, inflect on people myself i was like dude that what i went what i thought i went through has nothing compared to what you just you just explained to me because i couldn't imagine in my wildest dreams or nightmares any like experiencing that for real mm -hmm. it was crazy i mean it's like like tears started coming down my my you know what i mean just from picturing this and i was just like man why do we do this to each other 
Yeah, that's the that's the question of I'd say the decade, but the lifetime, the existence is why do we do this to each other? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's sad. I, I mean, I'm uh, the more that I'm getting involved in 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 this podcast, and the more that I'm you know being brought into other podcasts and and listening to certain things, I'm starting to get my reach out into the world a little further into other areas. The war and, and everything else that we bring to other places across the world is just crazy. And how do how do oh man it's it's like so much bigger than us but it's it's a thing that's that's causing a lot of problems all over the place you know and and you know cuz war you got you know rape and violence and and all the 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 nasty horrible things that go along with that uh, you know as a society how do we how do we deal with that and how do we make it better yeah is that um cuz i don't know i guess i if you want to explain to me and share with me i guess why you started this podcast and what your goals are with it and what your mission is so I um, started this because I spent, you know, time in prison and I was a drug addict and I did all kinds of bad stuff. I was raised in a violent atmosphere. Well, I mean, verbally abusive. And I mean, I don't know to the extent of what the physical, you know, abuse, because I don't, I don't remember any of it. And I was told that I was always uh, dragged off and, and sang to in a closet whenever the fighting would start. So, um, and then I, you know, I, I didn't have any discipline growing up. Um, I was a latchkey kid, so I never, you know, had that, that discipline thing or, or accountability, you know, so I was basically left to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. So, you know, authority was always, you know, never in my, my peripherals. I grew up and just did a lot of bad stuff. And the way that I treated women, you know, I didn't, I was never physically abusive, but I mean, I was verbally as well and, and, and bullying tactics and, and, and all of that that you do to try to get your way. And so at some point, um, I think about 2010 uh, is when I really started to make a change. And I started seeing that, you know, the way I was doing things just wasn't working. I mean, I went 18, 15 to 18 years uh, on this on this course. And all I had in my wake was just you know, tragic. I, I, the only way I could explain it is if like like a Tasmanian devil going through, you know, as soon as I would go into enter anybody's life, it'd be like a Tasmanian devil and then boom, I'm, I'm gone. And then you just see the, the, the remnants in the, of the destruction in my path. And so at some point I just got tired of, of living that way and, and, you know, just being, just being that kind of person, you know, I just, nobody could count on me. I was always unreliable. You know, I just didn't have any respect for myself or anybody else. And I just slowly started to change it. And by 2015, I mean, I had pretty much switched it all around and started doing, you know, my risk versus reward factor started, started going in the opposite direction. So before I would do all these things like self-sabotage or, or, you know, just do things to make myself feel bad. And then therefore that future thing that you're talking about, your future self, I already know how I'm going to make my future self feel bad enough to want to go and use. I'll just go and do something bad that makes me feel bad about myself. Therefore, when I think about it later on, I'm like, oh, well, I might as well. I'm a piece of shit anyways. Mm -hmm. So the risk versus reward factor was, was you know, I, I didn't have a lot to lose. So the, the reward was bigger than the risk. As that started to switch where the, the, the risk was, was not greater than the reward, all of that sort of started going away. My situation is not unique in any way whatsoever. It's unique because it's my situation, but it's not unique to um, situations out there. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been through a lot worse and have you know come a lot further. My thing was is that there's not a whole lot of people that are talking about addiction and and trying to like not really so much talk about my story, but talk about other people's stories and how they got through it which in turn is kind of helping me because I'm getting my stuff out there and it's allowing me to stay in the process and not, and you know what I mean? Because I'm truly trying to figure myself out. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully through this podcast and, you know, you know, possibly a book in the future and some of these other things, I can kind of help myself through helping other people. That's kind of where I'm at. And so it's sort of taken me in, in a, in, in a cool direction and it's helped me to kind of see the world in a different way. And it's just crazy, man. Once you release things, it, like how quickly you feel the weight lifted and nobody really 
can understand that unless they do it themselves. I mean, you, I can explain it all day long that, that this is the most amazing feeling in the world. I just dumped off a bunch of stuff to, you know, a hundred, 150 people and I feel great, <laughs> you know, but I, nobody would understand that unless you've actually done it yourself. Yeah. I mean, what a unique experience. Like that just sounds, I know you say your story is not unique, but you know, people say hurt people, hurt people, but then the opposite must be true, right? Healed people, heal people. Um, and sounds like you're doing like a lot of good, like through your own healing, you might be healing others. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then the, then the flip side of that as well is I'm really interested in, in, in masculinity and how it's I don't know. There's like how I grew up, uh, you know, thinking, you know, what, what the definition of being a man and being a masculine man is. And mm-hmm. it's wrong. It's, it, it was not, it, it was not a good, a good uh, example of what that is, you know? So now I'm, I'm kind of on a mission as well as to educating other men by admitting my own, Hey, look, dude, I've, I've been mean to, to women before I've, I've done these things and I'm sure I'm not alone because there's, that's the that's you know the the playbook for a lot of guys. I mean, it's you hear it all the time, and trying to turn that around and make it so it's like, hey, that's that's not okay, and you should be embarrassed if that's how you're treating people. Because well, as a woman, thank you, <laughs> because I feel like so much. I'm, I have no idea what it's like to grow up as a man, but when other men speak about growing up as a man and what they're taught as masculine, it essentially has always been the opposite of feminine the opposite of a woman like say be as different than a traditional woman as possible when humans are humans we are so much more similar than different um study after study will show that and um yeah, yeah just i do i do think a lot comes down to hurt people hurt people and there's lots of terms like toxic masculinity and that just i think really speak to what i imagine as a pressure growing up as a boy as a teen as a man in this country to kind of look like or act like a very specific way and not show even more of yourself to the world and uh, i got a lot more freedom growing up as a woman of being able to be myself I guess. And so we definitely need more men that are willing to speak to men and let them know they don't have to be any certain way. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. You know, when I started, uh, like I just, I had an interview with a woman from, uh, India not too long ago. Um, and she, you know, was a domestic violence survivor and, you know, I had, she had no prior knowledge of any of this. Cause I, I mean, I, I touch on it a little bit in, in like my first episode, but I didn't really start coming out fully about it until, I don't know, I would say, I think, I think it was her and through hearing you know, her story, I just felt compelled to, to, you know, express, you know, my story and where I came from. And, you know, even though we were both on, on, you know, I, I was on the end almost like, you know, her, her abuser. And I hate to use that word, but I mean, I guess it, I mean, it is what it is. I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I feel like when, when you say abuser, it's just so embarrassing when you think about it because it's, it's really, it's not, it's, it's a horrible way to be to another human being. So I I don't know. That's, that's what my mission is. And, you know, if it's, if I have to take a little bit of embarrassment for, you know, how I, how I acted, then, I mean, I guess that's, that's a small price to pay considering the, the, you know, what I put five other people through course. Embarrassment for the past is worth pride for today. Right. I mean, I imagine it sucks looking back, but being able to be liberated through sharing it now and being firm that you're not the same person you were back then, you're probably not the same person you were a year ago or six months ago or even like a month ago. Um, And that's pretty cool. Now, what do you think it is that causes um, some people like myself who are very like self self uh, reflective, like I'm constantly thinking about things that I do and like when I make a bad decision or I do something because I, I mean, I do, I'm, I'm human. I still make mistakes and I feel bad about it. And then immediately I'll apologize and, 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 and try not to do it again. What do you think that is that how some people are like that and how some people are just like oblivious to the, to the shitty things that they do? Oh, it totally depends on the person. Um, it's sort of like when I mentioned that Virginia Satir quote that we, our biggest instinct is to experience them familiar and re-experience what we know we can survive. What that's speaking to is generally like something will be seen as survivable into us until 
we decide or are shown that it no longer is. So sort of like hitting a bottom. And so everybody's bottom is very different. If you think about even like weight gain, some people can gain 10 pounds, freak out, go to the gym like crazy. And some people don't. Um, they can gain much more. Maybe they feel healthy. Maybe they feel fine um, until you know, one day maybe it's not as survivable. Um, and some people can go their whole life. The weight gain is not an issue for them, um, even if the world is telling them that it is. And so it could be dependent on if you have a support system, um, depending on what kind of anxiety or shame that you feel about yourself. Do you feel you're deserving of change? Like, are you in a rut where you feel like, well, you deserve this life because you've earned this life? So kind of like that self-sabotage stuff of like, well, I've already like screwed up. So why try kind of thing. Um, and I, I mean, everybody is different. We all show up on this earth with little personality things that are different. So if you even look at who you were as a kid, like most of you is going to change, but there's some personality things that might have just stayed. And so I think that might be a contributor to why our bottoms are just different. And some people also feel comfortable reaching out for help where others do not. Oh gosh, it probably depends on the situation, but I think there's lots of reasons. And I think one of the biggest one is just our instinct to stick with the familiar and to re-experience what we know we can survive. And until something clicks and we decide it's no longer survivable, you really have no reason to change. Like if you are uh, an abusive father or husband, but you really don't believe your family would ever leave you, why would you change? You still have the power in the household. You're probably getting your way. Like you really don't have a reason to change unless you experience threat or maybe like a, you know, come to Jesus moment or whatever it is. Um, change can be sparked by good and bad things. Yeah, I know you were talking about weight. I just, I saw a picture of myself uh, at a function um, for my union. For some reason that I just didn't like the way that I appeared in public, you know, just my look. And that was what it was that sparked me to change that. You know, there's no telling what, what can I, what actually puts people into action or puts yourself into action. There's all kinds of different things. Yeah. Like I said, there's no blueprint of being human. Um, and I think like being a therapist, like that's sort of the most exciting thing about my job. There's some generalities I can throw out there. Like, I mean, there are some just some assumptions that tend to be pretty universal, but for the most part, like in a seven hour day, like every single person will be, you know, expressing, sharing, presenting with something different and their motivations are different. And especially I do feel like one universal truth, which has been really interesting is that sometimes the worst things that we do come from really good intentions. And it can be hard to honor sometimes those good intentions, like even self-sabotage, like in the moment, we might really be thinking we're doing something good or something that we want, something that will bring us joy. And so seeing that consequences of good intent don't work out the way they we want them to is really hard and can get us into like really icky and uncomfortable situations. So, I mean, humans are complicated, like you said. Yeah, I, I, I like to call them messy. Oh, yeah. Tons of messy. Lots of messy. Yeah. I, um, there's like a joke for like for therapists, like you go to a therapist and you like open up your mind and we step in and we're like, you live in here? Like how? Like what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> let's, let's organize this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. I never even thought about it that way. Um, so here's, here's another question I have. So I've, I have a two year old daughter, almost two year old uh, daughter, and she does like, as I'm watching her grow and her personality unfold and, and, you know, this amazing experience that I'm having, you know, watching her grow, I'm noticing that she does things that I, I I have, that I do that I haven't even done in front of her. Like she'll have these little mannerisms and things that, that like almost as if they've like genetically transferred to her like through mm-hmm. through a genetic memory or something. Now, is that possible for um, abusive behavior to be ge- a, a genetic memory? Because like, if I didn't, if I don't remember seeing any of this, could it possibly be? Because I mean, a lot of what we are is from what we've seen, right? So let's just say my, my dad's dad may have been abusive. I don't know if he was or not. I'm just uh, this is just a guess or or an analogy, so to say. If that's what was witnessed there, then that just keeps going, and then you just pass that on uh, through a genetic memory. It just keeps going until the 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 next stop in the line, which would be me, changes that, and so now my daughter won't. What's different with being a daughter than a, than a boy? Because if she's watching that, then she's getting an idea of that. That's okay. This is normal behavior. So when it happens to her, she just 
st- sticks around instead of going, oh no, this is wrong. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. This, done. Th- does that make any sense? What I'm trying to say? Yeah. Um. So you're talking. I mean, you're talking about kind of two different things. So one is epigenetics, which is what our genes carry, and then the other is um, intergenerational um, psychology of like what we experience and replicate. I am not an expert in epigenetics. I know the basis, which is that we can have like kind of like intergenerational trauma. Like so, like let's say my grandma was an assault victim and I might respond to men as if I were assaulted myself, even if I never was. So that would be like an epigenetic uh, example, like a belief system and then intergenerational um, normal psychology and family systems would be, yeah, what you experience is what you replicate, but also what you've heard about you will replicate. So not just if you've seen it yourself, if you know it has happened, you can create almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, well, this is what I come from. So it's like when people get adopted and they find out things about their birth parents that are unsavory um, and then they feel like that's their fate to become that um, even if they didn't experience it themselves so um, I don't know much on the epigenetic side I do know that that is an up-and-coming like area of study that more people are getting into uh, the research is pretty limited right now but I know that they're doing more especially that intergenerational trauma um, but when it comes to what we just know about stories and narratives, um, we, we definitely can be influenced. And that's when as therapists, we work on something called differentiation, right? So being able to differentiate who you are from who others are and recognizing your autonomy. And you might have similar traits, but that does not mean you are a similar person. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you just triggered something in me too, as, as well, when you <laughs> were explaining, explaining that. So I, there was a story that I was told about uh, you know, an incident when I was uh, a kid and, and I, I took this on, I guess, cause I would, I'd hear, I'd hear somebody talk about it and I just put a picture in my head and I placed myself there as if I was actually watching this unfold as the, as the stories being told to me. And then I, then from, from that point on almost, I took that story as if it was my own story and my own mm-hmm. truth. And then I started, you know, whenever I would talk, when I, when I would, uh, reference it, it was in the first person, not as a, a story that was told to me. So it was, it was really crazy how that happened, but somebody explained that, or I heard that at one point and I was like, Oh my God, I did that. And so I stopped saying that, that, that story, because it was, obviously I, I didn't experience that. I experienced somebody else's version of it and just, you know, adapted it as my own. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. But I mean, it sounds like you were able to, like you said, awareness is everything. I mean, it's the first step to everything. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know why I'm, I'm so, uh, uh, in inflective is that if that's the right word to use um or introspective i i guess it's because i've just spent so much time being in trouble and 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 doing <laughs> and doing bad things that i mean you just i have no no choice and, and i've all i've always you know change is not something that's foreign to me from moving around a lot to you know being in when i was in prison and or going through that situation i mean i think i had been in and out of 18 different institutions and rehabs and 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 the like so i mean it was i was always change change was everywhere you know what i mean i was never never stagnant for very long so i guess it was just easier to for me to change is easier you know, that for some. Mm-hmm. So another question that I have for you is being a therapist, ha- have you ever experienced any bottoms or, or any kind of depression or, you know, the things that you're helping people with have, or have you just, is it just book study and, and through uh, dealing with other people? Um, I mean, I've experienced, so I grew up non-traditionally. So I grew up, I mean, moved around a lot. Um, so when it comes to like suicide ideation, there are some like normal peaks in your life. So in developmentally, you're going to hit one usually around like 14 to 17 through those adolescent developmental years in your brain. You'll have like a dip in serotonin. That's usually when people first experience like either passive or even active suicide ideation thoughts of like, I don't want to be here. It'd be so much easier if I went around. Then you might get another one like 19, 23 or four because your brain's finishing up that prefrontal cortex. And I would say like I hit one when I was 19. And I remember I transferred my sophomore year of college 
I just remember a night where I went through the like, if I were going to do this, how would I do it stuff and remembering like how scary that was. And so having clients who experience suicide ideation, especially as teenagers and as young adults, like being able to tell them that you are normal, you're not a bad person, like, um, or people are religious, like you can't just pray it away. It's not like pray the sin away, like pray the mental illness away kind of thing, like really validating how normal it is to not feel great all the time and that there are developmental places where we just don't and that's okay and it doesn't mean you're weird or that you're abnormal Um, and sometimes we get ones that aren't typical and that still doesn't mean anything about you it's just something you're experiencing and then so I would say that was a time in life where I experienced depression um, suicide ideation that was leaning from passive which is those thoughts of like I don't want to be here into active which is I like have a plan and then um, oh gosh I mean, I've definitely been through different traumatic events that I can really empathize with my clients about, but I haven't experienced like long bouts of mental illness. Well, I've gotten like stress-induced OCD. Like everybody has OCD, it just whether you have it clinically or not. So if I'm like, who is that actor in Homeward Bound in 1993? And then like I become obsessed, right? So I'm like, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? And then my compulsion is to look it up on IMDb. So I mean, that's like a great example of like everybody has obsessive compulsive cycles. But sometimes when I would get stressed, like I would get like clinical, like I would have if I was writing a paper, I would obsess over a paragraph for like four hours and everything had to be perfect. And I just would get really in my head. And I had a near-death experience two marches ago, three and see, a couple of years ago, no, three years ago, three marches ago, where I was almost murdered um, by a man on a train platform in Baltimore. And I had PTSD. Well, I guess it was acute stress disorder because it was just and PTSD is like after three months, so I was like in the three months, but I definitely had acute um, panic disorder, which is PTSD short term and was afraid to leave my house. Like it was absolutely terrifying. I had a lot of anxiety and I'd go out to the movies and I'd be looking around. And so being able to work through some of those has been really beneficial. But the truth is most of the time people come into things that just never experienced or never heard of. Like I love, especially I do like something that people find embarrassing, like sex therapy or something. I'm like, can you imagine the things I've heard? Like you're probably not as weird as you think you are. Or when they have like automatic thoughts and being able to validate like one of those common like OCD thoughts, like you're driving and you're like, what if I just turned my wheel? This would all be over. And that's actually a really common developmental OCD thought. Like, or you're like standing there cutting steaks and you're like, what if I just stabbed my friend right now? Like those weird questions and weird images, like out of nowhere, you get like animal abuse images or something horrific. And it actually just means that your amygdala is testing your prefrontal cortex. You're actually normal. And those have start when you're a teenager. And if you like can manage them. They don't become a problem. And if you become afraid of them, they become OCD. So, um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. You're, 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 uh, you're mentioning those because I've had that. I've had that because I drive, (laughs) yeah, I I drive quite a bit. Um, you know, because I commute a lot and I've had that thought and like, what would, what would happen if I just, you know, did this or what would happen if, you know, I did this? And oh man, I then I like I shake my head and like oh get out of there, get out of there, stop, stop. Yeah, and people become afraid like they were thinking that, but no, those are automatic thoughts. I think of them as like radio waves have always been here. We just as a society culture figured out not that long ago how to use them, right? Um, for radios and cell phones, all these things. So automatic thoughts, you can think that they've always been out there. They just come into your head every now and then. You just gotta change the station because they're all pretty similar. <laughs> it's really funny um, that we all can have the same ones. And so it's when people become afraid of those thoughts and they're afraid they'll act on them or they're afraid that they're the ones like coming up with them, then that's when it becomes an issue. That's when you start getting generalized anxiety or OCD, things like that. All right, cool. Well, this is a a, a little bit of a change. I mean, it's still along the same lines, but I can't, I can't let you go without asking this question. Um, okay. Um, hallucinogenics in, psycho- in, uh, in a therapeutic uh, setting. What are your thoughts? Are you for it or against it? Whew, I know more about microdosing and the benefits of that. And I only know that because of one documentary I've, I've uh, watched and a few clients kind of teaching me about it. So my opinions are super uneducated, to be honest. I don't know much. Um, again, I've only really read about the benefits of microdosing. I'm a big fan of destigmatizing medication. Like if you people aren't like weird that you're dependent on heart medication to make your heart pumping, then like they shouldn't 
be upset that you're on medication for your bipolar disorder. You know what I mean? There shouldn't be some weird dynamics there. And uh, I'm trying to think what do, I know about. Do you, would you, would you prefer, I don't, I don't know if you want to answer this question or not, but, okay. and you, you have, you cannot answer it if you don't want to. Um, <laughs> okay. So SSRIs versus mm-hmm. uh, natural stuff like microdosing, marijuana, uh, uh, mushrooms. Do you which oh, one do you uh, think? So my question. Oh, um, SSRIs. So if you were to say benzos, I would be a little more iffy because they they kind of suppress your amygdala, and it's very hard to do anxiety work when your amygdala is suppressed. So benzos are great short term. Um, SSRIs don't really have a lot of long term bad side effects. Um, It's just you can't go off of them all willy-nilly or you'll want to die. So you have to taper down responsibly. I think like there are responsible ways to what I understand. Um, I have a lot of clients who use uh, marijuana. Uh, It's just making sure you like with any substance, you don't become too dependent. And I think it's that health within moderation. I know that that's controversial. I know there's like a lot of ideas on like pure abstinence on those things. Um, But I know a lot of recreational users that that um, um, but again, I'm not educated enough. I know research coming out now about long-term usage of cannabis um, is shown to be um, harmful, especially on your memory and things like that. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know enough to be honest. I'd have to, and I know there's like different strands. And this is coming from someone who's never tried marijuana. I'm the only person I think that I know. Like I just like grew up super nerdy in high school. Like all my friends smoked weed in my basement every weekend, and I never actually tried it. But so yeah, someone else who's more educated on that might be more helpful. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Two more. Two more questions, and Perfect. we'll be done. One is. What book would you recommend to anybody out there that, uh, you know, maybe doesn't realize that they may have a problem or they kind of think that they might or, you know, if they're just figuring out that they may have some uh, some some mental illness issues or anxiety or anything like that? What book would you recommend for somebody to read? recommend sort of long book but it's amazing called the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk it's actually about like somatic memory trauma and like um, the body and the brain and like what we do with that but not just trauma I mean I don't know if it's mentioned in this book but literally everything we experience first goes through our thalamus which is our memory center of the brain so when you think about like triggers like sometimes people hear a song and like they'll start to panic and they have no idea why so everything we experience first goes through our thalamus we eat drink hear whatever it is so we create these memories and these patterns and we react to them without even knowing it and so especially if we've i mean you could argue anybody's had trauma in their life um whether it's like a capital t is like a huge trauma or lowercase t like maybe your parents get divorced or something like that it can be a capital t trauma but that book is really really great if you are interested in the brain um, at all, um, if you're interested in trauma at all, if you're interested in habit cycles, like um, why we repeat things that we do or react to others the way that we do, whether consciously or subconsciously, it's just a good place to start. Okay, great. And the last one, do you listen to podcasts? And if you do, which two do you listen to regularly? Ooh, I do listen to podcasts. I listen to Criminal. I do like Phoebe Judge on Criminal. Um Oh gosh, I'm trying to not think of like only murder podcasts, but I also do listen to my favorite murder pretty much every week. Uh, So I'll go with those two. They're both murder podcasts and I think there might be something with therapists interested in crime for some reason. Yeah, well, that's that's the the worst that society can get. So, I mean, I can understand why. And they're really popular. There's there's tons of them out there right now. Yes, I mean, the man in the window just started, so I'm about to get caught up on that. Um, like when they did the Dirty John, it's sort of similar to that, where it's a series. But yeah. All right. Well, we're at an hour. So the last thing is, do you want to plug anything? Um, you know, uh, your social media, uh, websites, anything that uh, you want people to uh, seek you out if they have any questions or if they need any help. And if you don't want to, that's fine too. Oh yeah. Well, I, you can, I'm in Kansas city area. So anyone has any local questions, you can see me on my website, communication and connection dot com because uh, I own communication and connection therapy and other than that I pretty much stay I have a Facebook I post about cats once a month that's about it um, really not too interesting <laughs> and uh, kind of fail the millennial generation where I don't have a snap or an insta or anything like that I kind of uh, I live a private life and, but I, I do have a website so yeah I mean you can email me through there or uh, you can email me at connect at c and c therapy group dot com great 
Well, I appreciate you making the time to talk to me this evening. I know it's a little bit, it's probably later over in, in your area. You're on the East Coast or almost, right? I'm in, in Canada, so it's about 10 o'clock. It's not too bad. Right. I'm a night person. <laughs> Either way, I appreciate you making the time for, for myself and, my, and the listeners. And uh, I want to thank you again. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for sharing with me a bit about your life. And I mean, and for all the good that you're doing. That's, I mean, I know it may not be like the biggest thing, but it is a big thing. And as you are working through your own self-sabotage, like I'm a big believer that we break self-sabotage if you practice self-forgiveness. And I hope that that's a journey you never end as well, because it sounds like you're doing a lot of really great things and deserve to be really proud of yourself. Thank you, Corey. I really appreciate it. That means a lot. And uh, would you be willing if from time to time, people are, are really seem to be interested in, in uh, the mental illness part, uh, bipolar, you know, anything that has to do with mental illness, I get a lot of downloads from. So uh, maybe hitting you up again at some point for a different topic. That would be great. And if you ever want to even just talk more self-sabotage, I've got, I'm sure, just tons of weird information in my head that I would be so happy to share and um, would be happy to come back. You've been fantastic to talk to. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate it. That's awesome. You have a good night, okay? You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the show and thank you to Corey. Great conversation. You had a lot of good information out there for me and for our listeners. And as always, if you want to connect with Corey, you can find all of her places in the show notes, as well as the book recommendation and her podcast recommendations. And if you want to connect with me, you can reach out to me at nowhere to go but up now on Instagram. Go to my bio, follow my link tree. All my places are right in that link tree. Or you can email me at nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com. Don't be afraid to reach out. I'm always looking for interesting stories, ideas, show ideas, anything that you have to contribute or that you want to say to me, you can reach me at those places. You can also find me on my Facebook podcast group, which is Nowhere to Go But Up podcast on Facebook. Episode 21 will be with a domestic violence survivor from India. Her name is Ruchi Singh. And she is the creator of Ruchi Singh Talks on YouTube. And just a quick wrap on on self-sabotage. For myself, the key to not continuing these self-defeating behaviors is recognizing and being aware of the triggers and the things that are happening in my life and around the time when normally these these defeating behaviors start to start to pop up and to be able to veer them off before they create any kind of real and lasting damage it's not always easy especially when you're first trying to notice these behaviors you know just like in the in the article if you're trying to lose weight uh like let's just say for instance if you go for a donut and you try to justify in your head, oh, one won't matter. I deserve it. I earned this. I've been doing good all week. And you're trying to rationalize or justify or reason with yourself why you should have that donut. Stop, think about what's going on, and then figure out something else to do instead. Like, God, I want to have that donut. Well, how about we go get a bottle of water instead? Whatever it is for you. You know, carry nuts or something other healthy snack around to curb you or to break that that thought process you know as soon as you think about it oh i have x y or z in my in in my bag i'll eat that instead you got to figure out what it is and what thought and what behavior that you're struggling with and then how to redirect that energy redirect that that thought stop that thought redirect it to a more healthier option Jesus, why was that so hard to say? Anyways, I hope you have a good holiday, a safe holiday with your family, your friends, wherever it is that you choose to spend Christmas and the new year. Until next time, keep it 100, stay true to yourself, everything else is just noise. (laughs) 